I have no idea how Dan Mahar and I got into our respective rooms to record this episode of the OHL podcast because you can check the tape for yourself. We both said coming into this tournament that we thought Quebec and Seattle were the cream of the four-team crop, and it was a Quebec-Seattle final with Quebec winning as we suspected they would. I don't know, Dan Mahar, can anybody tolerate you in your house right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw my OHL playoff predictions were not that solid, so I can only be uh, boasting so much on this one. But yeah, I did did have Quebec winning this this tournament from the get-go. I guess one of the other notable things for me in this is that when it came to the semifinals and the final, we had the three league champions still in play, which will in will it'll bring up the inevitable conversation around a host team. In this case, Kamloops got bounced earlier in the playoffs. They did not win the WHL. That was the Seattle Thunderbirds who did that. And I think if you look at the attendance, at least just from the way it looked on television for the semifinal game. Uh, between Seattle and Peterborough, obviously not a packed house, but I don't know how we do anything differently than what we do right now with the Memorial Cup. Without a host team, I think you're struggling in a real, real big way, at least in a tournament of this format. Yeah, I mean, it's really incumbent upon those selecting the host city to kind of do their due diligence and at least ensure that that team is going to be a competitive team. And I think that's the best you can do. Uh, there's all kinds of issues with the format. We saw how the back-to-backs impacted teams, et cetera, et cetera. But at very least, we can say, you know, Kamloops was a 103-point team. They're a pretty solid team. So it's not like uh, they were an embarrassment to be in that tournament. So uh, like you said, there's no perfect format. If you need a fourth team, I need a host team to, draw, to sell tickets and drop some revenue there. I, I think about it, the best you can do is due diligence on making sure you're really careful about who you pick to host. As a guy who is a lifelong fan of Les Habitants, do you want to pump any more of Patrick Waugh's tires as if he needed something else to go on his resume, (laughs) the coach of the Quebec Rempart? Well, I will say this. So as a, yeah, as a diehard Habs fan growing up, cannot deny what that guy did on the ice. Uh, Can't say I was a huge fan of the personality and the guy off the ice for a lot of years. Uh, Had his run-ins, had his troubles. Not sure he was the most savory individual for a number of years. A lot of ego there. But I got to tip the cap now because he's been around the coaching circuit for quite a while. And this is by far the best I've seen his teams play. They've always been competitive. He's been a shrewd GM. He's been able to bring in the right types of players to be competitive in that loop. But boy, was this team something else. So here's something else that occurs to me in all of this. And when we look at the numbers, it gets rather interesting, at least from where I'm sitting. This is four Memorial Cup championships in a row now for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. They had three straight before we lost a couple to COVID, right? The 2020 season got cut short, and then there was no 2021 season, so no Memorial Cup there either as well. But this is four in a row for the Q, which followed three in a row from the O. That began with Oshawa in 2015, followed by London in 2016, Windsor in 2017, then the four straight from the Q. So you're going back to 2014 and the Edmonton Oil Kings to find the last WHL winner and even before that to 08 and Spokane as a WHL winner. So that's two teams from the dub who won who who have won the Memorial Cup in the past 15 years. Do you want to use this Dan as another opportunity to kick sand in the face of the WHL? 
Oh, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt my argument, but <laughs> you look at all those years, uh, a number of those years, every third year. So in that 15 run, you're talking about five times, they had two lottery tickets in that dance as well, two of the four teams. So to have those kind of poor results, I guess, if you will, uh, not not reflecting terribly well on the WHL, and you could probably come up with a number of factors that play in and and whatnot. But I think one of the bigger ones that we talked about in earlier pods is the WHL and the Q both have a little bit of an advantage in this tournament over the O and the more lax trading rules. They're allowed to really load up more so than they are in the OHL at the trade deadline. So you're more likely to get super super powerhouses in those leagues and. Despite that, it hasn't done a lot of wonders for the WHL. And I just think it's more fodder for my ongoing argument that uh, uh, instead of spinning it negatively, that WHL is overrated, which I'm basically saying, uh, but that the strength of the OHL and Quebec League are drastically uh, underestimated by a lot of folks in the hockey world. It's hard to argue that just based on those numbers. And here's just another couple of interesting things, at least to me. So maybe you'll find them interesting too in those last two WHL championships. In 2008, that was the Memorial Cup hosted in Kitchener. The host Rangers were in that final against Spokane, but they were in it without Steve Mason, who they had traded for as part of an all-in run in Pete DeBoer's last year as the head coach and GM in Kitchener, and I'm not taking anything away from Spokane. Dustin Tokarski and company were absolutely terrific. That was also a memorable year where the Rangers won the OHL championship of the Belleville Bulls in seven games after building up a 3-0 lead. The Bulls came all the way back to tie it, force that seventh game. The Rangers win, go in the front door. But it was there was a lot to like, I think, in that OHL playoff and in that Memorial Cup, but the host Rangers fall short in the final versus Spokane as the Chiefs won it. Look to 2014. And what makes this one interesting, I think, from an OHL standpoint, is the fact that it was hosted by London and the Knights went 0-3 in the round robin that year. When Edmonton wins it, they beat the Guelph Storm 6-3 in the final. Guelph had won the OHL and they knocked the London Knights, the host team, out in the second round of that year's playoff. So just not what you would typically see from the Knights. We've talked a lot about the Knights on this podcast, including... Uh, after their loss in this year's OHL final to the Peterborough Peets and how this was supposed to be a down year and look out for the Knights for the next couple of years. And of course, after that loss on home ice in 2014, where they didn't win a game in the Memorial Cup tournament, two years later, they won the whole kit and caboodle, as I mentioned a moment ago. But I just think it makes it notable anyway, something interesting, if not quirky, from those last two WHL champions. Yeah, and the only thing I really have to add there, Mike, that's really quirky one in 2014. But I mean, obviously, the one that played out in front of us live in Kitchener here in 2008, that was one of those WHL wins. And if you remember that final game, you're right, Tokarski and Drayson Bowman really pulled through for those Spokane Chiefs. But fair to say they got somewhat dominated in that game. It shot something like 50 to 20 in that final. So that was a little bit of a a misleading score, misleading result, if you will. But I, uh, it's been a while since we've seen WHL teams just come in and run the table like their reputation has been over the years. So um, testament to the other leagues for sure. I'm just going off the top of my head here, but I'm going to say somewhere in the vicinity of 25 third period shots for the Rangers in that final. I just remember them coming out. They were down in the game, obviously, and they needed to do anything and everything to try and 
uh, come back and maybe force an extra period. That notwithstanding, the other thing I'll never forget, and I think many junior hockey fans will also remember forever, is that is the year where the Memorial Cup broke as the Spokane Chiefs tried to hoist it and celebrate with it. And and the other thing, and this might be exclusive to me and anybody else who was listening on the radio side of the broadcast, but the late, great Don Cameron, who called more than 4,000 major junior hockey games as the only voice of the Kitchener Rangers since their inception in 1963, as classy and as classic as they come. When the Memorial Cup broke and it fell out of their hands, Don exclaimed on the air, oh my God, they broke the trophy. (laughs) And then he apologized for his outburst because far be it from a regular church going guy like Don Cameron to say, oh my God, on the air. And he retracted it to an oh my gosh, but he was so surprised by that occurrence that an oh my God came out of his mouth. <laughs> well, like you said, Don uh, Don's the best there ever was. So, and part of that was just keeping it classy all the time. But yeah, a moment that those kids will never forget, and those of us who are in attendance will never forget. Just put a put a little cherry on top of the story writing for the next day on that one. All right, something that I think many will remember as well. I know I will, and I'm a little bit torn on this. I, I will not tell a lie because I believe in as as best as one can in the heat of the moment in the heat of battle uh to try to be a a a good sport at at all costs and you know sometimes we slip and that's why i'm not going to be too hard on sean spearing i don't think it's necessarily the nicest thing to uh to call a player on the other team a loser but that's what we got and and the reason i'm mixed on this is because while i may not love that i'm not going to pound on the kid for it because what i did really love that this was about as honest and as genuine as you can ever get in a player interview in any sport, quite frankly. Sean Spearing, after the first period of the semifinal game versus Seattle, does the intermission interview. And I guess there was an exchange at center ice during the ceremonial face-off with Lucas Siona of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Spearing is asked about it in the intermission. He says, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. That guy's a loser. Honestly, that's all I can say. He's just a loser. I'm like, wow, thanks for the honesty, Sean Spearing. Yeah, and you could just tell from the way he answered that question that whatever transpired at that <laughs> pregame, he was not very happy with. So whatever was said, it wasn't just your typical goading or baiting or things that go in one ear out the other. Whatever it was, set him off to the extent where he wasn't willing to extend much grace or courtesy to uh, Lucas Siona there. But uh it comes to your point, Mike, about these, these player interviews and uh, hard to come down on a kid. If you're going to interview these players, you're going to, you want a little color, you want a little personality and, and absolutely no issue with the player who shows it. If you're going to talk to these guys in the heat of the battle, obviously sometimes these things are going to come out and it, it probably far beats the, the vanilla cliche fest that you usually get from players. You're reading my mind on that one. And it makes me think, do you remember during the world juniors, forgive me, I'm not going to remember the year, but the camera with a microphone active enough nearby, uh, still live and picking up the sounds of the Canadian players yelling a bunch of enthusiastic celebratory expletives. Uh, what do you expect to hear when you're right there? And I'm not going to hold the, the kids responsible for that. At least, I mean, some may and 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 did at the time, but I'm sure as hell not going to. Well, no, and I, I don't really know what the point of doing it is other than to get those types of reactions. Um, you you want to bring something to your viewer that gives you a flavor of who these kids are, who these players are, 
as well as the intensity at ice level, what's going on. And, and like you said, it's the heat of the battle. So, so I'm not sure anyone should be totally surprised. And I've been told by many, many, many people that you don't know the half of it about what's being said out there. And, and so thankfully the mics aren't picking up all this stuff, but, uh, but yeah, I think you have to expect it every now and then. So do you mind if I, I, I know we're late in the season here. I get it. And, and people are probably sick of me and my pontificating long ago, but, but can I can I get on the soapbox just for a moment here on this point? Absolutely. I love the soapbox. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm going to pull it over. I'm now stepping up onto the soapbox. So I'm about five foot three. Here's the thing. And, and I'm speaking as a guy who has done more than his fair share of player interviews, literally hundreds. And this is not against the players. I, I love them. I want to tell their stories. I want their stories to be heard. But I think that we as an industry in broadcasting have gotten a little bit lazy in this regard. And, and basically the way we fill a little bit of time during an intermission or after a game is we stick a microphone in a player's face. And, and long ago from the pros on down to major junior, have they learned the way to give an answer that gives absolutely nothing to anyone, right? You don't want to give the other team the locker board material or the the, uh, the, the bulletin board material or anything like that. And I, I would like to see us get a little bit more creative. I'll take you back, and maybe this isn't creative because it's an old idea, but I don't know if you remember, Dan, when they used to do, do they call it the, the showdown on Hockey Night in Canada? The intermission show. So they, they'd have players out there competing, shooting targets, doing skating drills and stuff. Obviously, this was filmed beforehand, but the idea, I I believe, is that that was being done so that you could see the player. The helmet's off, the face is full, the hair is flowing, especially if you're Guy Lafleur, etc. And you got a chance to kind of feel like you knew the player a little bit better. So I, I get it from that perspective when these interviews are being done. Maybe the helmet's off, you get a close-up of the face so you get to know that person better. But I we got to do better than that because... Rarely do we get something as honest and as genuine as we just got from Sean Spearing. So I just don't know why we keep trotting out this same old tired idea. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I love the idea of creativity. Now, the, I, I know that when we've gone down the road of creativity in hockey, sometimes it's gone off the tracks, as we've seen, particularly with some American broadcasts. But I, I absolutely am 100% with you that we need to do better. Uh, bring something new or some, some flavor to these things. If you insist on doing them, because you're right. I mean, as a, as someone who's watched God knows how many hockey games in my life, thousands, I, I can probably count on one hand, the number of times I felt like I got something out of an intermission interview with any of those players. And mostly the questions are just so uh, softball. What do you expect them to say? Like, walk me through your goal. What do you need to do in the third period? Like these types of questions. I know that reporters can only do so much or ask so much, but, but I don't know who's getting anything out of those other than the family of the player says, Hey, they're interviewing our guy. Like what, but other than that, there's really not much. Yeah. I think that uh, it might be time. So I'm, I'm putting the call out to all of my colleagues on this side of the broadcasts to maybe, I don't know what we do. And, and I know that things like the showdown, at least at the professional level don't exist anymore because of contracts and collective bargaining agreements and all these different things with the amount of time that is required of players outside of games already as it is. But hopefully we can find a way to, to tell some better stories and create some slightly more compelling content, unless, unless the whole idea here is that it's like a lottery and every once in a while, 
you're going to get a Sean Spearing calling another guy a loser. Maybe, maybe that's what we're waiting for. Maybe you're right. I mean, that's the golden goose and we're just waiting for who gets that golden nugget. That's going to be replayed over and over and over and go viral. But, uh, you know, you want, you want these players to be able to show their personality a little bit. And sometimes that's not always a good thing. So sometimes some of these players aren't, aren't the most articulate, aren't the most friendly, but what do you want in the game? Do you want the color or do you want them to just trot out the pat answers? Because 99% of those interviews, I could probably tell you what the answer is before it comes out of his mouth. You know, So to that end, we send a sincere thank you to you, Mr. Sean Spearing. Thank you for entertaining us with your intermission interview. Okay, if that, if that is my soapbox for this episode of the OHL podcast, I think Dan wants to get on his for a moment. And is it possible? I mean, are we really going to suggest that things might go from really, really bad to even worse in St. Catharines where the Niagara Ice Dogs play? Could be, as we've still got lots to discuss on this episode of the OHL podcast. saw something in Kamloops that that you liked and maybe this is like a public service announcement for fans of the great game of hockey yeah and maybe it's a minor point and I'll credit uh, our OHL reporting colleague of yours Terry Doyle with bringing this to my where I first saw it was these wide signs on the top stair of every aisle at the Kamloops arena that say stop do not enter during play. And you know, this seems like the most obvious thing to anyone who's ever attended a live event. You don't come back and forth from your seat during play or during the performance. But there are more and more people that seem to neglect that and ignore that. Um, so I think, why not? It can't hurt to have that rather large visual reminder of just about courtesy to your fellow fans. And it, it reminded me of a conversation I had with a a colleague of mine not long ago who went to a Toronto Blue Jays game this year and asked how it was and expected to hear, Oh, it was great. It was great. All I heard about was how the game was ruined by people coming and going during the play. And I said, they felt like they were standing up half the game up and down, up and down, up and down, just person after person, those long rows leaving during the play and coming in during the play. So it seems like common courtesy, but I'm not sure it is Mike. And I think the idea that the Kamloops arena staff came up with is terrific. I I hope that, because they came up with this idea and they put that sign there, not only is it adhered to by the fans in the building, but that the ushers working every section, obviously, would also enforce it. Because I think sometimes there's either an intimidation factor or, frankly, a I don't care factor, do whatever you want. But I think your point, Dan, with your colleague and his experience at the game speaks volumes. I remember a lifetime ago. I was sitting on a volunteer committee with Kitchener-Waterloo Oktoberfest. And if you know anything about the region of Waterloo, that's a really big deal, right? It's the biggest Bavarian bash outside of uh, Munich. And we celebrate it every fall here in the region. It's a really big deal. Lots of history, lots of tradition. And the the gentleman who was running this committee was all, he, he kept drilling home to us that while we're out there volunteering, yeah, obviously we get to be in great environments and have a good time, but it's all about making sure that the people who are coming into those fest halls are having a good experience. They know they're going to get a sausage on a bun or a schnitzel on a bun and a cold beer. 
that's and they're going to hear some polka music like that's going to happen but what can you do to ensure that their experience in getting to that is enjoyable he even talked about something like if it's a rainy night be waiting at the door with the umbrella and as the cars pull up get out there and make sure they are covered by your umbrella as they come inside that fest hall and that stuff really makes a difference if you you can give somebody the coldest beer and the best tasting sausage but if they got drenched coming in or the they were too close to this their table was too close to the speaker so it was too loud or anything else that might throw off that experience it can throw off the entire night oh 100% and you know it 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 sounds like a minor nitpicky point mike but it's really not to it comes back to courtesy and you got to ask yourself the question if if you were there would you appreciate having to stand up and down every every couple minutes and missing plays missing something going on in the ice because of this so it really should not even need to be said but if you go to these events just for crying out loud have a little courtesy for those around you in a hockey game there's a bunch of whistles in a period. There's two long intermissions. You have plenty of opportunities to go to the bathroom or get a drink or whatever it is you're doing without disrupting everyone around you. So as much as it sounds like a minor point, Mike, what you just said about Torfest is true of everything, and especially true of hockey. If you, if you're going to a game, the experience is enhanced when people are courteous to each other. So why not? It's just a little thing. I'm going to be the old man yelling at cloud here. Okay. But you young whippersnappers out there, when we were younger, okay, we cared more about our fellow sports fan. We waited in the tunnel before coming down the stairs. I'll I'll give fans a wee bit, a wee bit of a mulligan, particularly in junior hockey now, because boy, oh boy, you're waiting for that stoppage, but it takes what 20 seconds for the puck to be dropped. So you got to be hustling. So I'll give you a bit of a mulligan there, but in baseball, there is absolutely positively no excuse or football for that matter. No excuse whatsoever to be walking past other fans back to your seat while play is going on. Just wait for your turn. Yeah. And, you know, if I could pick up on that point for just a second, Mike, to add to my soapbox, it's (laughs) yeah, maybe show a little hustle, maybe show a little hustle because, yeah, you know, if you are doing it during the play and not waiting for an intermission or between innings or, or whatever the case may be maybe hustle a little because you can probably do it in those 20 seconds if you kind of move. So again, just to attack on to that point, Mike. All right. We both had our opportunity on the soapbox. I think you bring up a very valid point in this regard, and I hope to see it implemented in junior hockey rinks around the Ontario hockey league next season, even in St. Catharines where fans might have every reason to be more than a little bit hostile when they come to the rink. My goodness, we've documented it plenty of times already and at some level of detail with the mess that things have been uh, under Darren Dadobler this time around after the Burke family sold and we thought we were turning a page in St. Catharines. It's it's not been a good start. It's been rocky to say the very least. And did it just get rockier as Daniel Michaud decides he's done with the Ontario Hockey League? Well, players that are going into the road rage season have this right, and they've accumulated these education packages, and Daniel Michaud is chosen to go play for Queen's University, which is completely within his rights and not necessarily a bad decision on his part. It's a little bit rare, though, and to see a player forego his overage season like he's doing, and unfortunately, Daniel Michaud is one of the few bright spots for the Niagara Ice Dogs this year. So, like you said bad situation getting worse and and it all comes full circle to what you just described as being a 
a down year for Niagara in all regards, lots of off ice comedy, if you will. And that has consequences when you, when you, when you run an operation like that, sometimes you're going to get unintended consequences. Like we're seeing with Daniel Michaud and he's considering his options for next year. Most of these players in his situation went, yeah, great. I'm going to have another trip around the O this year and try and find some pro eyes on, on my game and, and see where it goes from there. He just looked at that gong show that existed last year and said, yeah, not doing it again. Queens, uh, I'm coming your way. So yeah, the run a circus and you'll get some sort of uh, results sometimes like this. And it's, it's too bad for the fans. Yeah. And your point on the caliber of player that Michaud is not to take away from any others, but this is a guy that certainly ranks near the top of that roster. It's not like he was a fourth line guy getting six or seven or eight minutes a night. He factors into uh, that ice dogs hockey club and to see him forego his, his victory lap, if you will, around the Ontario hockey league, I think, you know, is pretty telling of, of how bumpy the road is right now in St. Catharines for sure. Yeah. And you know, Mike, not just the people in St. Catharines should take note, but I'm pretty sure the league should take note here too, because the goal at the end of the day is to have the best possible league you can have in terms of talent. And they're always have their eyes on recruitment versus players that might go to the U S trying to recruit them to come to the OHL. This is heavy business for them. So when you have good, strong overage players like this leaving to attend university because of questionable operations in a, in a city, that's got to get the attention of the league and they have to try and uh, see what they can do to fix this kind of thing. Cause you don't want players exiting the league for any reason before their time. Okay. Speaking of bumpy, I think the road ahead will be a little bit like that for the Peterborough Pete. So we didn't really script this one out or, or put it on our plot points today, Dan, but I think it's worth at least mentioning. And this is not a knock when you load up for a Memorial cup run, you know, the next year is probably going to be a lean year and that's likely the case in the lift lock city of Peterborough. But I think we should also acknowledge, you know, a, a week ago when we were talking, we thought, boy, oh boy, you know, the Pete's have the, their work cut out for them and and they got themselves through the tiebreaker into the semifinal. Unfortunately for the Pete's now it's 10 trips to the Memorial cup and still only one championship back in 79, six of the 10 times they've been, they've been to the final, but it was not meant to be this time around. No. And, and I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but Mike, we talked about it before the tournament started about what a strong field it was at the Memorial cup this year. And, and I think that bore out in, in the results. I mean, I don't think anyone watching with any kind of neutrality could look and say that the Peterborough Peets were good enough to win this year in that tournament. The the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Quebec Ramparts were just clear-cut better than the Peets were in this tournament. And you could even argue Cam Loops was, was right there as well. So field was just a bit strong for them, but it, it it could be a bumpy road ahead, like you said, because they went all in for this year and it's it's – obviously success when you win the OHL crown. So that's not a, not a down year. They, they certainly got their just rewards for, for playing the way they did. But uh, yeah, I could tell fairly early on this tournament, it was going to be a tough haul for Peterborough to win. And I think they were, they were definitely not the cream of the crop at this tournament. One of the intermission interviews that really stood out to me during the Memorial cup final was the one with Craig Gosselin, who's the president of the Saginaw spirit. That of course is the city and team that will be hosting the 2024 Memorial Cup. And let's not forget, this is the same Saginaw team that 
about a third of the way through this past OHL season was still battling for first place in the West Division. I know Windsor went on and, and took that first place, and Sarnia was a strong team too, but tell you what, Saginaw uh, was, was a force even the year ahead of them expecting to be as good as they're going to be next year and some of the moves they made have really i think and we, we've talked about this before too but the saginaw spirit appear to be poised for a very very good 2023-2024 season yeah and, and part of that positioning that you're talking about is how much they have in the cupboard to move to add up to add and load up for next year and we know they're going to so it's just a question of who they're going to add so uh, it'll be a really intriguing potentially off season here, but certainly leading up to the trade deadline next year to see who Saginaw will add because they're already looking good. And we know there's going to be two or three significant pieces added to that roster before the trade deadline. So exciting year coming for those Saginaw fans. As if Zane Parekh and Michael Misa alone <laughs> weren't enough as pieces to go, like say, I want to go see a Saginaw spirit game. And then we're going to add some renos to the uh, Dow event center. And eh, you know what? going to be a pretty decent place to go see some junior hockey oh yeah and you know love to uh have a beer with dave Drinkhill soon to see what his uh plate has on top of the summer because a lot of options for him going into this year and and just where they're ever going to have some uh decisions to make here but uh, I, I it's gonna just an exciting full year for the team because like you said without loading up they've got some great reasons to go watch that team early on in the season. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. All right. Every time we finish one of these episodes of the OHL podcast, I like to give you a little tease about what's coming up in our feature interview on Friday. And we're going to break new ground this week. Our very first owner team, current team owner is going to join the OHL podcast for a feature interview. Uh, I'm also going to warn you that I might geek out a little bit about this because before he owned one of the 20 OHL teams, he was also an owner of one of the biggest radio networks in the country of Canada. So if you're listening in the States, it's up here north of the border. But I'll tell you, so we we go from junior hockey and we do devolve into some inside radio talk because I'm a bit of a geek that way. But still, our first owner ever coming up on the podcast this Friday. Nice. Great, a great groundbreaking get here, Mike. And hopefully we haven't said anything too negative about his team this year. So uh, let me, I think, I think we're okay. I think we'll be on good enough speaking terms and we'll stay on that after this upcoming episode. <laughs> All right. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar, just like his name. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. And don't forget to send us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Give us a like, subscribe, and we'll keep the episodes coming for you. The best junior hockey podcast in the entire province of Ontario. I'm still coming after the Pipeline show out west, but we'll, <laughs> we'll give them the nod for now. Thanks for listening to the OHL podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. 
another Sound Off Media Company podcast.